Ta'ameen. Ta'ameen. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful, I bear witness that there is no God but Allah. And I bear witness that Muhammad is the Messenger of Allah. Assalamu alaikum, my dear brothers and sisters. And once again, Ramadan Mubarak. This is your brother, Abdul Muthakir Muhammad, thanking Allah for once again allowing us to partake in this beautiful fast of Ramadan. We thank each and every one of you for joining us this morning on the Ramadan prayer line, the Ummah Reflects, and we pray that our time together will be aiding or aid and benefit us all in our growth and development as believers in Allah. All brothers and sisters, we thank Allah for our guest speaker yesterday, our brother way from the north, brother Raja Muhammad, who began his talk uh, citing two ayats of yesterday's reading. Our brother then referred us to www.islam.com. And he said that these three W's are not for wrestling, but these are the three W's of faith. The W's of faith of, of, is the word, the way, and the work. And my brother said that we need all three of these W's to fortify our spiritual armor so that we can withstand the wiles of Satan. He said that we need these three W's also to connect us with our Lord. And he says the way is like the fast and praying and following Allah's restrictive laws. And the word is the, is the need is needed as the spiritual sword or word coming out of our mouth as believers in God by people seeing our, what we say and what we do. And then he talked about the word going out among our people and spreading this mighty, mighty word of Islam. We thank our brother, Brother Roger Muhammad, for his beautiful, beautiful words with us yesterday. We thank Allah for our guest speaker today. And to take us further into our program is our beloved brother and friend, Brother Abdul Akbar Muhammad. Brother Akbar, are you there? Yes. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam, sir. Bismillah rahman rahim in the name of Allah, the beneficent, the merciful, I bear witness there is no God but Allah, and I bear witness that Muhammad is his messenger and servant. Ramadan Mubarak. I want to um, thank uh, Brother Roger yesterday. He was full of spirit. I loved it. May Allah continue to bless you in Canada. And all of the work that uh, the brothers did before you, Brother Donnie, uh, Brother Philip, and the other brothers in Canada. I know you're in Montreal, uh, and I know that they're in Toronto. But make sure that you'll keep close together. Canada has tremendous potential because there's so many people from different parts of the world that migrated to Canada. And uh, so we have to do the WWW in Canada in particular. Thank you, and may Allah bless you. Uh, today, and continuing this unbelievable history uh, made by the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan as he moved around the world. I remember one time we uh, came from overseas. We ended up in Toronto. Uh, we had just left Bermuda, and there was a rainstorm in Bermuda that was unbelievable. But the people came out in the rain, packed it in the rain. 
and the minister came. We went to a hotel and we spoke. So Canada has tremendous potential, and we have to work it. It's not going to work itself. So I really appreciate what my brother said. I'm going to talk about uh, one place in particular that has special meaning to all of us, and that is the Gambia. Uh, we used to call it in the old days, the Gambia, like we used to say, the Sudan. But today they just say Gambia or Sudan. But the Gambia has a special meaning to us because it's where Minister Farrakhan built his first overseas mosque from the ground up. And this particular mosque was built uh, in such a way that it would always keep in the hearts and the minds of our people uh, the work that was done abroad. In particular, the minister on one of his trips, a beautiful trip, and the words he said to me will always stick with me. He said, brother, I'm not going with you all to Jufri. Jufri is the village where Alex Haley found his roots. And when you land in Banjul, you cross the Gambia River, beautiful, beautiful sighting. You see the dolphins jumping out of the water, and you drive for about an hour and a half, and you reach the village of Jufri. And uh, when you reach this particular village, it is the village that Alex Haley found the roots of his family from Tennessee. They found their roots in Jufri. And uh, so one day we were getting a delegation together, and the minister said to me, uh, I'm not going to go. I'm going to stay here at the hotel, which he does a lot of times. He comes to do his work and uh, doesn't go on tours and this and that. We just can't get him to do that. So he said, I'm not going. So I said to him, Brother Minister, if you don't go, none of the delegation will go. They're here to serve you and protect you. So if you don't go, they won't go, and they would miss this opportunity uh, on this historical trip to Jufri. And so the minister, he didn't say nothing right away. And he said to me, okay, <laughs> we will go. So we crossed the Gambia River. It's a sight to behold if you had a good filmmaker. And to be on that boat with all of the Muslim brothers and sisters who used the term Senegambia. And uh, we crossed. We got in the uh, vehicles. And we drove uh, up the river to Jufri, where the people of that village came out to meet us, especially the elderly women. Shocking. They were strong, and they were all around the minister. And we walked together, and uh, someone pointed it out. I don't think it was me that there, Alex Haley, when he came here, and he wrote that letter to Minister Farrakhan telling the minister that uh, Malcolm was right. Because Malcolm kept saying that you come from Muslims, you're all Muslims. And most people in America did not believe that, especially black people. And um, we got to this village, and there there was a cornerstone of a building. And Alex Haley was there. He promised the people of Jufri. At that time, there were 600 people in the village. He promised them that he would build a mosque. And he sent some money. Sometimes in Africa, money has a way of disappearing if you don't watch it carefully. But he sent some money, and they laid the cornerstone and never completed the mosque. 
So when Minister Farrakhan looked at it and we gave him the history, the minister said that we or I will complete this mosque. And the minister did exactly that. The mosque is up now, needs a little attention. Brother Bryant, we thank you for all that you did to stay there and watch it and make sure it was built. And, you know, we built a school. The minister said, you know, in the early days of Islam, wherever they built a mosque, they built a school, a madrasa, as they called it. And the minister sent the money. We got the team together, and the mosque did open. It was a beautiful sight uh, to see that mosque built by the descendants who were taken away in slavery. And now they come back to build the mosque to the worship of Allah. It's beautiful. So during this holy month of Ramadan, this special month for Muslims all over the world, where Muslims are struggling, we ask Allah to bless the Muslims in um, Palestine, especially Palestine right now, where the enemy attacks them while they're praying and break up their prayer. And uh, so this is a special month for Muslims, uh, the fast of Ramadan. And the enemy who does not like to see us come together and work together is always plotting to destroy the people. So we went on and built the mosque, and the minister said, we're going to name it the Alex Haley Mosque of Jufri. And uh, the Muslims community, they said, you can't name a mosque after a Christian. Uh, They were bent on that. They didn't want us to name it the Alex Haley Mosque. But the minister knew what vision he had and what he saw. And we went on and we named the mosque, the Alex Haley Mosque of Jufri, a beautiful thing. And many of the Muslims, especially the newer brothers and sisters, may not know this history. Uh, whether I'm doing justice to all of it or not, let some of the brothers and sisters who traveled with us to add in what they saw, what they felt, what it did for them. And... Uh, because I know there's so much to be said about it, so much. The um, Muslims there, we ask them to make sure they keep the mosque clean and they paint the mosque. And sometimes Allah will bless you um, with an idea. And if you don't follow up on it, Allah Allah gives the idea to someone else. But this was uh, beautiful. And it's those who were with us and those who found the... uh, Senior citizens, I'm going to call them. These women were in their 80s and 90s. They were stepping lively, and it was heartwarming to see them at that mosque, and the mosque built for them in the uh, small city of Jufri. And the people that came from this mosque impact the entire Muslim world. And people who know of it, they like to go and visit it. You can visit it, fly into Banjul take the trip across the Gambia River, and the sight of the landscape from Bari, which is the city right across the river, the the landscape alone is beautiful. It touches your heart. Uh, You see the young girls, you know, they don't have the toys you have, uh, young sisters and brothers in the West. They make their toys out of what is there. And uh, they have a game that they play. And as we are riding in the vehicle, they're playing this game. I can't show it to you on the line, but they clap their hands. And this game followed us to America. And you look at the beautiful landscape and these young, beautiful Muslim sisters 
play in this game. It's a sight to behold. So I wanted to make that Suleiman Yang came from the Gambia. Suleiman Yang was a professor at Howard University and uh, a, a lover of the minister's impact on Islam. He always talked about it in his lectures, in his seminars. He talked about the impact of the Muslims from America on the African continent. Many Africans and black Americans go to Gory Island. This is where the slaves left from. It's very small, but very significant. And so when you go to the Gambia, don't forget Gory Island. And you can't, Cape Coast is the biggest slave dungeon on the African coast, on that west mm -hmm. coast of Africa. The slave dungeons at Cape Coast and Elmina. And uh, if Allah blesses us to live and you're able to go, it's very historical for you and your family to make this visit. So Minister Farrakhan made the visit. The delegation was able to go, and we were all very happy campers. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you, Brother Akbar. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillah ar rahim In the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful, I bear witness there is no God but Allah, and I bear witness Muhammad is his messenger. We are so excited to have this podcast, Ramadan, the Ummah Reflects, and thank you to so many of our listeners all around the world who have downloaded over 140,000 uh, episodes of our podcast. One of the things we're implementing is our greatest hit section. We've had so many amazing speakers that have come through over the years, over the decades that we've done this um, aspect of the unity among the Muslims. And so this today, I am starting our greatest hit series, and we're starting it with none other than our own Imam Zayn, who is an amazing imam who really speaks to the heart of Islam and unifies Muslims. He also did the janaza for Muhammad Ali. So to kick off our greatest hits, Imam Zayn. <laughs> Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the most compassionate, most merciful, merciful. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. All praises due to Allah. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad. And peace and blessings upon our exemplary leader, Prophet Muhammad. I wanted to talk about just uh, the blessing of Ramadan in terms of in helping us within the context, the wider context of our Islam in reclaiming our lost heritage. And our lost heritage, I, I say that from two perspectives. One is our lost human heritage. As human beings with dignified people and a key component of what dignifies the human being is self-restraint. This society that's been largely shaped, uh, I find it amusing when sometimes you find uh, the left-wing people in this country, the communists or socialists or Marxists or those influenced by their thought, they complain against the conservatives and they say that the conservatives are uh, following the way of dead white men. So they go to the college and they say, look at all these dead white men on the wall. But they're, they're, they're fighting dead white men with dead white men because uh, all of these uh, characters that 
uh, currently inform our thoughts. Characters like Michel Foucault or Jacques Derrida or Judith Butler, who's a, a Caucasian lady, or Marcusa or John Paul Sartre. All of these people are Caucasian. And so many times you'll find many African-American intellectuals making that, that same mistake. I say a mistake because what ends up happening is globally we come to, to, we're led to believe there's only one way of either defending tradition, and that's the way of the European conservatives, or there's only one way of fighting against what is sometimes viewed as oppressive tradition. And that's the way of European intellectuals. And so when we, when we come into Islam, we reclaim our heritage. We reclaim our humanity because hu hu humanity is vast. And one of the largest rivers flowing through the earth of humanity is the river of Islam. And when we drink from that river, those of us who have been rendered dead are brought back to life. And in coming back to life, we reclaim our humanity. But from another perspective, we, we reclaim our basic human dignity. And as we said, that lies in restraint. Islam restrains us. Minister Akbar mentioned, or we alluded to, the legions of brothers primarily, but increasingly sisters also, who have become Muslim in the penal institutions of this country. And before becoming this country, and the, the history, the intellectual currents, the historical situation created a dehumanized individual who had no restraint. And that's usually how he end up in prison. To take what he wants, he wants to see something, just take it. Do anything he wants, say anything he wants, act any way he wants. He want to drive down the street with his feet hanging out the window of the car, just do it. He want to have his pants hanging off his rear end, just do it. He want to go and just slap someone upside their head because he don't like the way they look, just do it. No restraint whatsoever. No restraint in speech, no restraint in behavior, no restraint in thought. And then the person becomes Islam, uh, gets in touch with Islam. And in getting in touch with Islam becomes a person that's dignified through their ability to restrain themselves. Now, and I situate this in the context of the European intellectual heritage because increasingly that says you have no restraint. Even uh, some things that I know it might be controversial overall, but not probably in this context. If, if a grown man, six, six foot five, 305 pounds, chiseled up. It looks like he should be playing defensive end on the San Francisco 49ers. Just says, you know, wakes up one day and says, I think I'm a woman. That's my true self. There, there's no restraint, okay? And then society says, okay, if that's how you feel, you're a woman. Go use the women's bathroom. 
if you are my teenage daughter, because there's no restraint. But Islam says, no, you restrain yourself. You restrain your thoughts. You don't think evil thoughts. Restrain your actions. You don't engage in evil, haram, forbidden actions. You don't eat what you want. You don't say what you want. You don't wear what you want. You wear dignified clothing. That's one of the hallmarks of, of the nation of Islam, that uh, the brothers and sisters were blessed at a time when the 1960s, we, we running around wearing whatever we want, Woodstock and all that, and these, these anarchic influence are, are influencing our communities. And the nation of Islam said, no, you don't dress any kind. You dignify yourself. You put on a suit. Put on a tie. Trim your hair. And so it's, it's a lesson in restraint. That's the essence of Islam. And Ramadan, more than any other time, reinforces that lesson because it's extra restraint. Islam says, I'm a, Allah Ta'ala, Almighty Allah, He tells us, I'm going to restrain y'all even more. I'm not even going to let you eat during the daytime what ordinarily is good, pure, and lawful for you to eat. You're going to give up halal beef. You're going to give up halal chicken. You're going to give up wholesome juice, fresh squeeze. You're going to give up whole raw milk from grass-fed cows. You're going to give up homemade bread. You're going to give up your bean pies. You're going to give it all up during the daytime. For my sake, you're going to restrain yourself for my sake for this entire month, even from things that are ordinarily lawful for you. And going through that process just reinforces the dignifying, humanizing qualities of Islam. And so when we look at Ramadan, we shouldn't just look at it as just a, a mere and I, I say mere in, in quotations because nothing in this deen, this religion is mere. But we shouldn't look at it as a mere religious exercise. We should look at it as an exercise in reclaiming our human dignity and, and be, be, becoming part of an exemplary community that stands in the face of the tsunami of licentiousness, in the face of the tsunami of... of of unrestrained, barbaric, un, uh, inhuman behavior, speech, thought, and action. So this is, the Ramadan is training for us. And Ramadan is reinforcing one of the most fundamental les lessons that Islam teaches the human being, that human being, you are dignified through your restraint. And you're dignified through your ability to refrain from doing Saying, thinking, eating, acting any way you dressing, any way you want. So may Allah Ta'ala, may Almighty God bless everyone who's been blessed to go through this training period that reoccurs every month, uh, every year rather, for an entire month to put us back in touch with our fundamental human dignity through the lesson, through the exercise and restraint. So may Allah Ta'ala bless all of the brothers and sisters who have given up sleep for the sake of Allah, will give up their food and drink and their lawful relations with their spouses during this day for the sake of Allah. May Allah Ta'ala bless everyone. May Allah Ta'ala strengthen everyone. 
May Allah Ta'ala bless everyone to benefit tremendously uh, from this fast of Ramadan and may everyone have a joyous, joyous, celebratory Eid, uh, Eid prayer and Eid day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam, our brother, brother Imam Zaid. And I know this is a playback, excellent playback. Um, brothers and sisters, the honorable boy Elijah Muhammad said to us that Islam dignified. And we are taught as Muslims in the nation of Islam that part of our Islam is to teach us how to act at home as well as abroad. Excellent, excellent, brother Imam. Now ask our brother, brother Jalil, to give us the hadith of the day, brother Jalil. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, brother Musaka, and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Imam Zayn, and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to all of those that have gathered this morning for the noble cause of listening to the Ramadan, the Ummah Reflects line. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, we praise Allah, we thank Allah, we seek Allah's help from the evil of our bad deeds and the consequences of those bad deeds. We seek Allah's forgiveness, for we need His forgiveness. Whomever Allah guides, none can misguide that person. Whomever Allah leaves wandering aimlessly, no one can guide that person aright. I bear witness there is nothing worthy of worship but Allah. He's God all by himself. And I bear witness that Muhammad ibn Abdullah is his servant and messenger of The most truthful book is the book of Allah, and the best guidance comes from Rasulullah wasallam. Every made-up thing in religion is a going astray, and every going astray leads to the hellfire. May Allah protect us from going astray. I mean, Dear brothers and sisters, words coming from Imam Zaid were poignant. Jazakallah, barakalafiq, brother Imam, for those words. May Allah bless you for those words today. Imam Zaid spoke about the necessity the need for restraint in this dunya in which we live today. And he talked about how Islam brings about that restraint. And in truth, dear brothers and sisters, there's nothing anywhere found that can bring about restraint the manner in which Islam brings about restraint. No self-help book can do it. No Christian part of the theology can do it. No other religion can do it. No TV show can do it. No wishful thinking can do it. Islam brings about the restraint that's needed to fight off the evils of shaitan. But Islam can bring it about only if we have exemplary faith firmly embedded in our heart. Islam can bring about that restraint only if we have a heightened dose of taqwa of Allah, fear of Allah. If our hearts and our faith are devoid of fear of Allah and the faith of our religion, then we will fall by the wayside in having restraint. One such time we can find during the Sirah of the Prophet in the times 
of seeing re restraint during his time was replete. Many, many examples. But one such prominent example can be seen in the life of Anas Ibn Malik's mother, Um Salim. Um Salim was married to Anas Ibn Malik's father, and he died a disbeliever. But she was a noble woman. She was a Muslim. And she was a woman who had faith firmly rooted in her heart. And she loved the Prophet and sought to give her life for Islam. And so when she became a widow, many men had their eye on her. And so one such man sought to propose to her. He was a very wealthy man. He was a man of great stature, a man of great repute, a very handsome man, a good-looking man. And so he sought to ask her for her hand. But the problem was, dear brothers and sisters, he was a Kafir. He wasn't a Muslim. And the ruling had come down by this time that a woman couldn't be married, a Muslim woman couldn't be married to a Kafir. But he proposed to her anyway, and she rejected him by saying, Abu Talib, you worship idols. I could never marry you. And then he said, but I have money, and I can give you all the money you want, and I have a fine home. And she said, no amount of money, no fine home could substitute for being a Muslim. You're a kafir. I can never worship. I can never worship who you worship. So I can never marry you. So he left, and he came back still on the impression that he could win her over and he could rule over. He asked her again, "I'll give you more money if you marry me, as your dowry." And she said, "The only dowry I'll accept from you is if you accept Islam, and take your shahada by uttering La ilaha illallah." Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If you say that, I will take that as your dowry. So the restraint she showed him by holding fast to her religion and holding fast to the commands of Islam were apparent. And so the brothers and sisters, he pondered over it a short time and he said, okay, I will accept Islam. And he took his shahada. And she, upon hearing him take his shahada, she called her son into the room and said, marry me to this man, Anas, because he's taken his shahada and now he's a Muslim. This restraint, dear brothers and sisters, was only fueled by the love of Islam she had and the faith of Islam and her fear of Allah. When you fear Allah, when you fear Allah, you don't want to disappoint him because you know full well the punishment can come as account, on account of that. We ask Allah to bless us to have the restraint that Imam Zaid spoke about. We ask Allah to allow this restraint to be fueled by our faith in Islam and our faith in Allah and our fear of Allah and our love of Allah. Because without those things, dear brothers and sisters, we're doomed. We're destroyed because Shaitan said that he will come after all of us and will get all of us except those that are sincere. Ask a lot of blessings to be sincere 
as we strive to restrain from the pitfalls of shaitan and restrain from the wiles of shaitan and restrain from the nuances of shaitan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam, Brother Jamil. Thank you for the hadith of the day. We will now ask our sister, Sister Nisa, to give us the fast fact and the Nisa report. Sister Nisa. Assalamu alaikum again. Our fast fact of the day is Allah loves those who try. As we near the last 10 days of Ramadan, please try harder to meet your goals. You are only in competition with yourself. Your competition is to be better today than you were yesterday and strive to be better tomorrow than we are today. Allah loves those who try. Allah has no need for perfection from us. Allah wants to know that we are at least trying to be better. Shaitan invites us to commit a transgression. We follow that nonsense, and that creates a distance between us and Allah. To make matters worse, Shaitan invites us to feel ashamed, to turn back to Allah with repentance. We don't even want to do it because we're just so disgusted with ourselves for what we did. And then we don't even want to call upon Allah with prayer so that we can repair our relationship with him. Our duas, we feel like they're just not even going to be heard. But that is a very powerful connection that Allah makes in the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah. Allah says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allah loves those who repent. And Allah loves those who are engaged in purifying themselves. Some scholars say this purification is physical, similar to wudu or tahara, referring to the way we clean ourselves for prayer. But there are other scholars that said this is one that actually has a spiritual implication. Allah loves those who try. Allah loves those who repent. So Allah does not expect us to reach some peak perfection before we can be worthy of supplicating him. It doesn't happen like that. But Allah does love us just for trying. Allah loves us for the effort. And if we think about how beautiful and profound that is, then it actually helps us to repent and it helps us to make dua because we know Allah is just waiting to hear from us. Allah loves us for trying. Allah loves us for being engaged in the state of purification, and Allah loves us for repenting. But where is it that we actually fall short? Some of us will repent sincerely for a transgression and then insist that we will not return to that behavior. Allah, if you just get me out of this mess, I will not do this again, ever again, Allah, please. But yet sooner or later, we still return to it and do it again. But now that does not disqualify us from the love of Allah, nor does it open up all the previous times that we committed that transgression or nullify the repentance from those previous sins. However, this type of insistence and returning back to what we know that is wrong that causes us to fall out of the love of Allah, out of this journey of attaining the love of Allah, is when we insist upon these transgressions and disregard Allah and disregard the pursuit of Allah because we're constantly returning to transgressions, constantly returning to do the things we know displease Allah. So we ask Allah to allow us to always be engaged in the effort of purification, to always try to allow us to reach better stages and to always allow us to be in his state of love even as we fall short time after time. 
just for being in the state of repentance and for being in the state of the effort of purification. Allah loves those who try. That is our fast fact of the day. Thank you for listening. Islam is not the problem. Islam is the answer. Assalamu alaikum. Rahman salahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam, Sister Nisa. Dr. Nisa, thank you. Thank you for the fast fact. And we now ask, well, we've got to go to our reading for today. And our reading on day 18, as my sister said, day 20. For the last 10 days, day 18, and our reading starts with chapter 23, verse 1, through chapter 25, verse 20. Surah 23, ayat 1, through Surah 25, ayat 20. Now, as we close our program, ask our brother, would he close us with prayer? Brother Shaheed. Hi, salam alaikum. Let us close with prayer, dear Muslims. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Arrahmanirrahim. Maliki yawmiddin. Iyaka na'budu wa iyaka nasta'in. Igdina siratal mustaqeen. Siratal ladina an'amta alayhim. Ghayril magdubi alayhim. Walad dhalim. O Allah, separate me from my sins as you have separated the east from the west. And O Allah, cleanse me of my transgressions as the white garment is cleansed of stains. O Allah, wash away my sins with ice and water and frost. And O Allah, strengthen us to set our face for your religion being upright, the nature made by you in which you have created human beings. Amin. Amin. Thank you, Brother Shaheed, for your prayers with us this morning. As we close, brothers and sisters, on behalf of our guest speaker in the replay of our brother Imam Zaid and his beautiful words with us this morning on practicing self-restraint. Thank you, Brother Imam Zaid. May Allah continue to bless you and your family. On behalf of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan and his family, we thank you, dear minister. And we love those stories that Brother Akbar gives us of the work that you have done and are doing. We thank Allah for you and your families. On behalf of the Executive Council of the Nation of Islam and their families, and we thank Allah for each and every one of you who are aiding and assisting the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan in spreading this mighty word of Islam. On behalf of the ministers and imams throughout this country that's spreading this word of Islam, you know what I'm going to say, ministers and imams, teach hard. Today, teach hard. On behalf of my co-hosts, Brother Akbar, Sister Nisa, Brother Jalil, and Brother Shaheed, and, and their families, may Allah bless you all. And on behalf of each and every one of you that are listening, and all of the believers, let us, the Muslims, let us go out and fill our mosques and masjids today that our people may hear the word that is transforming our lives and it can begin the transformation process of their lives. So let us practice as Imam uh, Sarad said, our dawah, go out and get our people. 
Let me leave you as I came to you. Inshallah, we'll be talking again tomorrow. Assalamu alaikum. Subhanallah. Walhamdulillah. Wala ilaha illallah. Wallahu akbar. Wala hawla wala quwwata illa billahi al-aliyyil azim. Glory be to Allah. All praise to Allah. There is no God but Allah. Allah is great. All power and might belong to Allah. The Most High, the Great. Subhanallah. Alhamdulillah. Wala ilaha illallah. Wallahu akbar. Wala hawla wala quwwata illa billahi al-aliyil azim. Glory be to Allah. Glory be to Allah. All praise to Allah. All praise to Allah. There is no God but Allah. Allah is great. All power and might belong to Allah. The Most High is the Great. Subhanallah. Yeah.